This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. Our lesson tonight is called God's Plan for Mankind. And Ethan gave me 20 minutes, right? Longer? Yeah, okay. You know, that's a big thing to think about. God's plan for mankind, really focusing on the idea of before the foundations of the world, long before we ever came into being, God had a plan for mankind. You think about that for a second, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? God had a reason for doing the things that he has done. We look at Genesis chapter 1, as we'll talk about in a moment. There's a reason behind all of those things which God has done. You look at Genesis chapter 1, you look at the creation of all things, chapter 1 and the first part there of chapter 2. We find that God creates a perfect dwelling place on this earth, not just for animals and other creatures, but all things on the earth center around us. From the air that we breathe, to the food that we eat, to our bodies themselves, they center around the ability for us to be able to survive and even to thrive. God has a plan for mankind. You know, God has always wanted mankind to dwell with Him. But we have to remember that God, as we find throughout the Bible, has conditions for everything. You cannot escape the, the period of the Garden of Eden without conditions being found, right? We know that God made the rule they, could, they were to tend the garden there to Adam and, and Eve. And as long as they obeyed God and did not mess with one certain tree, they could stay in the Garden of Eden, a place that was designed specifically for them. Doesn't that show how much God cares about mankind from the very beginning? Why go through the trouble of creating animals for us to enjoy if God doesn't care about us? Why go through the trouble of creating all the plants and various types of the plant life if God doesn't care about us? Why go through the trouble of creating the earth at all if God doesn't care about us? See, Genesis chapter 1 no doubt shows the power of God, but also shows how much God put into a place that would be perfect for us to exist until a, until a time came for us to dwell with Him, that is, the faithful, to dwell with Him for all eternity. When's the last time you've known of anything lasting for thousands and thousands of years besides the earth? Because everything wears out, right? Everything breaks down, everything gives out, but the earth, after all these years, keeps turning. The air remains breathable, food remains available to us, and this goes on and on. It sustains us because God is the one who created all those things. And it was for the purpose for us to be able to dwell here, so we use this earth as a place for us to live and to come to know Him. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, and looking at verse 4, the Bible says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Ephesians 1 and verse 4. If you think about that for just a moment, just as He chose us, 
If you look there in Ephesians chapter 1, you'll find that Paul isn't talking to the entire world. He's talking to those who have put their faith in God. He's talking to Christians. And the idea there that he has chose us, that is those who are Christians, to be able to dwell with God and with Christ and all the other faithful individuals who would, who would be faithful, be able to dwell with him in heaven for all eternity. It's not a reference that God has chosen certain people to be saved and some to be lost. That makes God uh, you know, someone who is unfair, unbalanced, and showing partiality. Instead, he has chosen a certain group, Christians, would be able to dwell with him for all eternity. And he did that, as we find there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, before the foundation of the world, before time began, God had already determined that these individuals will be with me. You know, we, we try to make plans sometimes. Well, maybe not Ethan, but most of us try to make plans sometimes for certain things, right? God has a plan for us, doesn't he? He has a plan for us. You know, whenever mankind acts like mankind, whenever we make mistakes and we sin and we go against God, but God has a plan for that. God has a plan for us when we have families. He has a plan for us when we have a, a marriage which we are in. He has a plan for all those things. He has a plan laid out for how we can live, how we can act, how we can serve Him faithfully, and have heaven as our home one day. God has a plan for mankind. God had chosen that those who love Him and obey Him will dwell with Him. He had already determined that before we ever came into existence, according to Ephesians 1 and verse 4. So He had a plan in place that He was going to do what was necessary to make sure that all those who obeyed Him would be with him. Isn't that something that should bring us joy and gladness? That God had the forethought and the knowledge and the wisdom and the ability and the power and the desire for us to be with him. You know, the opportunity is available to all mankind, but simply said, not all take the opportunity to do what's necessary to gain heaven as their home. And that's where the real problem comes into place, isn't it? See, when we have struggles and we start complaining about things and, and struggling in our life, we have to remember, remind ourselves, the problem is not with God. The problem is not with His plan or His Word. The problem is with us. Because sometimes we just simply want to do what we want to do. But God has a plan for us. If we will put ourselves in obedience to Him, if we will pick up our cross and walk with Him, right? Follow after him. First Peter chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty. And first Peter chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty, the Bible says here, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. That tells us that Christ was going to come to the earth that was determined before, as he tells us there in verse 20, before the foundation of the world. God has and continues to have a plan for us. 
You ever try to do something, you work out a plan, and as you get going, you realize this is a terrible plan. This is not going to work. I need to just start all over. You know, with God's plan for mankind, he's never had to do that. God's plan is not one that needs to be adapted to us, but it's one that we need to adapt ourselves to. We adapt ourselves to his plan and not the other way around. We know that Christ was, as we found here in 1 Peter 1, 18-20, that he was foreordained before the foundation of the world to shed his blood to redeem the obedient. All could be redeemed, but only those who obey could have, could have that blood wash away their sins, right? This was determined in the mind of God before all things were created. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Some translate this verse as saying before the beginning of time. It's the same idea. Before time as we know it, we measure time from the beginning of time, right? From creation. Our calendars are centered around the birth of Christ. We change the letters around now, but it's still we still use the same timeline, don't we? It centers around the birth of Christ. And we look at this idea here in, in 2 Peter 1, verse 9, that he has given us this ability to have our sins forgiven in Christ. The Bible tells us there in verse 9, according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God had already had these things in mind. They were already laid out for us. God is the greatest planner the world has ever seen, the greatest executor of his plan the history has ever known. We find throughout the Bible prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled, being given in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. And what does that tell us? That God's plan is being carried out. Therefore, his plan is working, right? His plan is working. Let's think about this as we move into our next point. God and man at creation. We have to understand that God cares for us very deeply, and that's putting it in a very simple sense, right? John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That is a sacrificial love. The Greek word there for love is agape. It's a sacrificial love. He loved, he loved the world so much, He gave His only begotten Son. You know, that is a simple verse, but to put into, into words that sacrificial love, I'm not sure how you can do it beyond what's said there. He gave His only begotten Son. How willing are we to give things up for other people? Are you willing to give old things up for other people? Maybe you have an old phone you don't use anymore. I'm going to give this to someone else. Sometimes we say, well, you know, I might need that. Or I'm going to give up this and give this to this person. Sometimes it's hard for us to do those types of things. God gave His only begotten Son because that's how much He loves us. It continues to love us. Genesis chapter 1, looking at verses 26 and 27, we find that God showed at creation that mankind is special. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over, ca over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth, creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, image of God. He created him male. He created him male and female. He created them in his own image. 
Nothing else is that term ever used to, used to be described, any type of creation except for mankind. We are unique. We are special. Animals are created. Everything is good. Right? Until Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after the creation of man, we find the Bible says everything he saw was very good. A different word, or another word was added there. Because now mankind was there. It wasn't just that things were good. Now things were very good because he has made his special creation, has made it his own image. He sees it and everything else. And he says, now it is very good. We are unique. We are special. The world would have us believe, or some of them, that we are not that special after all. There are those today who are actually debating if plants have feelings. How do you do that? I've never heard a potato complain as I cooked it and ate it. And the Bible tells us, we were reminded, going back there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, God actually gives, to, gives us dominion over all those things. Which means we are free to use them to the best of our ability to help us in this life. Whether it be for food or for protection or whatever it may be, we are given the right by God to use those things. The world sometimes sees it differently, but we are a special creation. God wants the very, be the very best for mankind. God, we know, made a special dwelling place just for man in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. The Bible says there, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed, him, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Verse 8, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. He created man, and he gave him a dwelling place. He gave him a place to live. Today we would say, someone say, well, here's someone has to say, well, here's some property and here's a here's a home. You can live here. We'd say, I'm pretty well set. Because in most cases, that is the biggest expense and the biggest headache that you will deal with is finding a place to live and to dwell and pay for those things. And here in Genesis chapter two, verses seven, eight, God creates Adam. He says, here's where you're going to live, Adam. All you have to do is we find out later is just tend the garden. I'm not much at gardening, but I can guarantee you if someone said you can live here for free and everything's provided for you, just tend the garden, I'll learn how to do it. Adam and Eve, that's all they would have to do. Verse 15 of the same chapter says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. That is a pretty cushy situation, isn't it? But it was part of God's plan for Adam and who would join him would be Eve in the garden. That was his plan to start off all creation with all those things we provided and with Adam and Eve in the garden. We think about this for us today. This not only includes, we think about with Adam and Eve in the garden, but isn't it true that God, since he has, has this plan for us since, since before the foundation of the world, that he has prepared a place for us also? Not just Adam and Eve. You know, in John chapter 14 and verse 2, Christ says, In my Father's house are many mansions, but we're not so I would have told you. What does he say next? I go to prepare a place for you. To prepare a place for us. Part of God's plan is that we will have a dwelling place with God, with Christ, and all the other faithful who have gone on before us. A dwelling place with Him. Verse 2 says, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Prepare a place for who? For each and every one of us who follow after God. 
And he has put those things into place, beginning that process before the foundations of the world, as we saw earlier in Ephesians. Some lessons for us to think about today. Christ, God, has always had a plan for man. God has had a plan of salvation for us since before time began. We know the old law, there was, a, there was a plan for them to have their sins forgiven, right? They offer up those animals to the various sacrifices. We find the New Testament, the blood of Christ came. What? We are baptized in the blood of Christ, and our sins are washed away. Acts 2, 38, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. That's part of God's plan for us. The shedding of blood. You know, it's interesting to think about... Uh, the contest on top of Mount Carmel, do you remember there, the prophet of God versus all the prophets of Baal? And they were told to call upon those prophets. I think J.J. mentioned this on Sunday night, but to call, to call upon their gods, or they call upon the Baals to answer them. They never did. The Bible says they even cut themselves to try to, really the idea of incite their God to respond. It's interesting to note, I think about this when I think about that section there, is that with false gods, the blood flows from man to the false god. But with the one true God, the blood flows from God to man, doesn't it? Christ on the cross, the blood flowed from Christ to us. At baptism, Romans tells us, at baptism we are buried with Christ into death, right? The blood of Christ covers us. The blood flows from God to us. Why? Because He cares for us. We are a special creation of God. That's how much God cares for us. Cares for you. We must remember that it is God's plan and not our plan. It's not our ideas. It's, it, is, it is based on God's standard. How many times do the standards and ideas of man change? Just over the last few years, how much has changed concerning what is believed to be right and what is believed to be wrong? Or let's be more broad. What's believed to be acceptable and what's believed to not be acceptable? Because uh, not acceptable, well, that's not even on anybody's radar anymore. But God's standard has not changed. No matter what the world says, God still says certain things are sinful and we are to avoid them. Right? It doesn't change, unlike man. Would you want to have an agent of any type who, when you had an agreement, you go to sit down and sign, and they say, oh, we changed numbers 8 through 15. We can't do that. Oh, yeah, we can. We can change it. You have to sign it because this is a new plan now. God's never done that. His plan has been the same. Obedience is rewarded with heaven. That is a general plan. Obedience is rewarded with heaven. You know, God has a plan for us, which begs the question, do we have a plan for our life? I'm not talking about some five-year, ten-year plan, but what kind of plan do you have in a spiritual sense for your life? Do you plan to go to heaven? I don't have any logical person who would say, well, no, I really don't plan on going there. That sounds like an awful lot of work. I never heard anyone say that. Do we realize that this life is the only one that we have here to spend. That once our bodies give out or if Christ returns before then, that that is it. There's no last-ditch efforts. There's no last seconds, oh, wait a second, now I want to obey. There's none of that. 
that if we don't respond to God with obedience before our life gives out or before Christ returns, there is no option of heaven. Because Christ wants a sincere follower of Him. He doesn't want to be the panic button God. He wants to be our true God that we follow faithfully. I wanted to close with this illustration. One of my favorite movies is about a boxer back in the Great Depression by the name of James J. Braddock. And he was a, a, a boxer as well. He was doing very well. The Depression hit. Things changed quite a bit, and he didn't do very well. His health failed. His family struggled. And so he fell out of the spotlight, dealt with a whole lot of injuries. Then he came along, another fight was coming up, and they said, well, we wanted to bring you in as kind of a last hurrah. You get to say your goodbye, and so you can come in and do this fight. And he began one of the greatest comebacks during that depression. So much so, he built himself up to the degree he was going to have the championship fight. I can't remember the year, but you can look it up. And before the fight, the paper there in New York put out an article about him talking about his story. You may have heard the idea of a Cinderella story, right? The idea of, you know, uh, kind of a no-name team coming out of nowhere and winning a championship, that kind of thing. So they wrote up this article about him. They called him the Cinderella Man. And his wife kind of joked, that sounds kind of girly, you know, that kind of thing. And so the, pr- the promoter put together this meal for them to have this big restaurant that, that uh, James Braddock would be in one area and that Max Bear, who was going to fight, would be there as well. But neither of them really knew that. And so they get there, and they're both there. What's interesting about his opponent, Max Bear, is that he had fights so intense that one man died in the ring. Another man died shortly after in the next bout because he had what they call a, a disconnected brain, and when they got a little jab, went down, he died. Two men died as a result of fighting that man. And he was promoting the fight, saying, I'm going to kill James Braddock. And so they got there at the restaurant. He's, you know, James Braddock sees him. He goes up to him. He says, you know, I heard what you've been saying in the press. You know, I have a wife, children. They really like to hear that. And Max Barrett read the article about him being called Cinderella Man. He told him, you need to step back and not take this fight. And Braddock kind of laughed. He said, no. Max Barrett responded, said, no. People die in fairy tales all the time. And I thought, oh, that's an awesome line. But he was right. See, as Christians, sometimes we, we paint this picture of this Cinderella story of like the idea of life really isn't that, you know, it's not really that dangerous, not that scary. Really nothing bad is going to happen to us. But yeah, we have some skid knees, things like that. But nothing bad is really going to happen to us. But yet every day people die in their sins because life is not a fairy tale, is it? Things can get real, real fast. And that's what Max Bear is trying to tell him in a very cocky, arrogant way. You know, life isn't a fairy tale. Not every comeback story has a victory. Every person who lives on this earth doesn't obey the gospel. They too sometimes will fail to do so, and they too will pay the price. We have to realize that, friends, we need to do what is necessary and what's required of us before time runs out. And don't take this as an attempt to scare anyone. But, you know, we believe that time passes by. Ask people how long it feels, you know, he was at camp here years ago as a camper, probably doesn't feel like 
children grow up, we may not think believe children that old because time is ruthless and doesn't stop. And as we grow older, time begins to run out. And so back to the question, what kind of plans have we made? Because we haven't made the right plans in preparation for eternal life. Friends, when Christ returns, and we will, there'll be nothing left to say. Let's make sure that we examine our lives and make sure that we realize we need to make changes where there are errors. To be able to make the gospel, we begin to seriously consider that. Because we don't want to be one of those who don't get to see that. We won't have it be a place filled with those who are. This evening, if we can think about these things, we can help you, we can encourage you in your way, we glad to assist you to understand the song of Jesus. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts and all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.